I think it's interesting that no one brought up gender discrimination because I think it's insidious and it's kind of burning under the surface. It's not, you know, this obvious, you're a woman, I don't want you to do this. And it does link into this motivated social satisfaction and retention. So this study was a, a really interesting study. It spoke to vets about a whole heap of things and put together what the biggest predictors were of someone staying or someone leaving. Hi everybody, my name is Daniela Dos Santos and I am more than just a vet. Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know what's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals. My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Today I have with me Daniela Dos Santos and I have an amazing conversation with her. You will see me struggling a little bit. Uh, sometimes you'll see a delay in the answers. Uh, the reason is we have a bit of problems with the connection and there was a bit of delay on the line and on top of that we couldn't see each other. But do listen to the recording. It's very interesting and I hope you open your eyes the same way you open mine. I'm very glad to have you here and then I I wanted to, to present you and say that uh, you are a fellow of the Royal College, you've been a president of the British Veterinary Association and that was probably in the worst of our times because you have to deal uh, with the pandemic and, and you were like every week tell us what we could do and how to do it and I I am eternally grateful for that and I'm sure there'll be some criticism for that and I don't know mm -hmm. if you have heard it, I haven't, but if there is any, uh, I would say from my part uh, that just the simple fact that you were there, that was very helpful. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for inviting me on. You're welcome. Um, now, what I wanted to talk to you today was about the reason for shortage uh, of vets and And, and the, there are like uh, three parts I wanted to di divide this or, uh, uh, by because I found that with the documents you sent me, and by the way, these documents, I'll put the links in the, um, in the notes and uh, they are free for everyone to have a look at them. It actually changed a lot of assumptions that I have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And... And, and in, in a positive way, because it opened my eyes to things that I didn't know. And with the poll I did in Vet Voices, um, where I have like 1,300 uh, respondents to this poll, some of the things mm -hmm. you have sent me, nobody actually even mentioned about. Um, so, okay, so uh, the, the three things I wanted to, to say is, first, do we have evidence that there is a... Um, shortage of vets because this is going to be not just for vets it's also i'm going to try to put it out for everyone to listen to um so i'm sure there's someone who <laughs> keeps willingly blind to say no there isn't a shortage of vets. well there is um uh, and i'm sure you agree with that right yeah there is a obvious less registration in the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, which is the only way you can actually practice veterinary surgery in the UK. And uh, it, in fact, in the um, shortage uh, of patient list by the government uh, was involved even before the pandemic in 2019, it was advised to be, it was agreed that they would be in that list. So I think I can say that, that 
there is there is an evidence of shortage of beds. Sure. So um, I agree. Um, there is a shortage of vets and there's lots of evidence as to that. So you've mentioned the um, fact we're on the shortage occupation list um, and, you know, that went through the uh, Migrationary Advisory Council through the government. I was involved in that when I was a BVA officer around, you know, lobbying for it and pointing out the fact that we were short. And actually that originally came about due to Brexit. So that was a whole other thing I had to deal with as, as president of the British Veterinary Association. And you've alluded to the why there. It's because over 50%, around 50% of new annual registrations with the college prior to Brexit were from non-UK EU nationals. An amazing part of our workforce, really valued, exceptionally talented individuals who come here to a country, practice in their second language. I Look, I have mighty amounts of respect for all our veterinary colleagues that come across um, to work here. And so this was a problem, to be clear, this was a problem before Brexit. If you look at the data that we have, we were running at probably about the best data we have because it's really difficult to get good data. We were running at about an 11% vacancy rate um, prior to Brexit. And then Brexit happened and COVID happened at the same time. And actually you had those that weren't going to come here because of Brexit, but then COVID put a whole new spin on it think, with people reevaluating their life and did they want to be far away from family and, and things like that. And so it's it's been a long-standing problem before Brexit, before COVID, but the evidence is out there that we do have a shortage of vets. Now, the why, that's a whole different conversation. How we solve it, again, that's a whole different conversation, but we absolutely do have a shortage. When I did this, this poll in Vet Voices, which is this uh, private veterinary Facebook group, um, and again, I'm not going to divulge any anyone who voted in there because it's private. One of the top answers was, was that was Brexit. Uh, there were two answers before that, which were poor work-life balance and increased workload with uh, more pressure on well-being and mental health. But I see those as a consequence so if you remove those, the top one is, is again, is, is Brexit. And Brexit, it hurts us in two ways. Uh, one of them is people not coming in. And the other way is that we have to do exports and then the increase of paperwork. Um, one thing that I, I wanted to mention is uh, some people say, well, Brexit is not the problem. Brexit is just highlighting a problem that we have before that you, you already mentioned. That's true. But I believe that is having the ability to bring uh, vets from the European Union. It should have been part of the solution, and it was part of the solution. It's like it's like the banana question. We don't produce bananas because the UK is not so self-sufficient in bananas. So we import them. That's not a problem. It's simply that we use the resources that we have outside in the world. Um. So so that's that's one of the things. Now, is the problem in your view, worldwide? Do you have any knowledge whether the problem is worldwide or not? So just on a couple of things that you just said there, um, in terms of, of workload, you know, your comment about the two top things above Brexit were workload and work-life balance. Um, I agree that workload yes. has been exacerbated by the Brexit situation, not just in terms of increased paperwork, but also decreased number of people here. The work-life balance aspect, actually, I am not convinced is just due to, to to Brexit. Um, and 
I think we'll come on to that a bit later on, that actually a lot of the evidence that we have as to where the problem lies feeds directly into work-life balance. People just don't realise that. They don't realise the links. Um, but your question about is it a, a, a worldwide problem? Um, yes and no. We have some countries where they overproduce vets. And, you know, for those of you that are not aware, um, my parents are Portuguese, for example. And in Portugal, we produce way more vets than, than the, the domestic population needs. But then if you look at other countries, um, Australia, New Zealand, um, South Africa, the United States, Canada, we don't have enough vets. And so um, I think I think it's a little bit of swings and roundabouts. I think if we look at the global veterinary workforce, I suspect we are short. But we definitely don't have the right people in the right place at the right time at the moment. And we also have a problem whereby how do we define success? as a veterinary surgeon, you know, what is seen as a desirable career, what is seen as, you know, is actually the best career to go off, go into practice and become a specialist, or actually, is it just as important to go into public health work and things like that? So I, I think there's a lots of factors here. And you, yeah, I'm going to put it out there. If I had my time again, I'm not sure I would have gone into small animal practice. I, I genuinely don't think I would have taken that route again. But you know, that comes with, with experience and, and your view of the world, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So what you are um, alluding to as well is, of mm -hmm. course, uh, retention. Um, and, and and with retention, um, you you sent me uh, uh, the links I was talking about before, where uh, there are two reports that I believe you were involved in from 2018. So this is pre-pandemic. Now, before I come into that, one of the, the problems that you have as well is people come to you to, to find out about was Bogus advisor was not, and people have more demands nowadays. So I remember when I started, consoles were 10 minutes, and sometimes you didn't need the 10 minutes. Uh, that is in a small animal. Um, and now people people want more because they read in, in the internet, and sometimes they find Bogus advice, and, and also you, go, you can do more because science um, is developing. So... Yeah, there is a shortage, and and, and you you you're telling me some of the causes, and one of them is is, is going to be Brexit, of course. Uh, now, of these reports, um, you talk about motivation. There is one called motivation, satisfaction, mm -hmm. and retention, and uh, it's very well connected with another one, which is gender discrimination in the profession. Now. This gender discrimination in the vet profession, among the 1,354 respondents I have to my poll, nobody actually added yep. that to the poll. Yep. Nobody even commented on it. And after I read this report, I found that it's actually very important. Um, do you want to, to talk about the first one, the motivation, satisfaction, and retention first, uh, and then we go in more in detail about the gender discrimination one. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's interesting that no one brought up gender discrimination because I think it's insidious and it's kind of burning under the surface. It's not, you know, this obvious, you're a woman, I don't want you to do this. And it does link into this motivated social satisfaction and retention. So this study was a, a really interesting study. It spoke to vets about a whole heap of things and put together what the biggest predictors were of someone staying or someone leaving right um and and the interesting thing is that i think everyone's expecting this silver bullet 
like, yep, this is what we do and everything's going to be okay. And actually what this uh, study has shown us is that actually there's not one thing. There's multiple things that ultimately will take a culture change in the profession. And what I find fascinating is that you've actually already alluded to it where you've said, you know, even in your time practicing, client expectations have changed. So, you know, it's not helpful when people say, oh, but back in my day when I was a new grad, things move on. The world develops. And so the problem, some of the problems that were there 20, 30 years ago still exist, but the context in which they are has changed. So this study, if we look at it, um, there are a couple of things there that are really good indicators of whether or not someone is going to stay, whether they feel ambitious, whether they feel like this career is worth it for them. Um, and to me, there are three main ones that come out of this. It's about feeling valued and admired. It's about fitting in and it's about having role models. And the interesting thing is that coming back to your comment about well-being, all three of these things feed into well-being and burnout. But no one will turn around and say to you, I don't feel valued and admired because they don't realize that's what's happening, if that makes sense. So, for example, the report yeah. shows us that someone is more likely to be um, confident and uh, be happy with their abilities and see a good career progression if they feel valued and admired. But what does feeling valued and admired mean? One example is, do your colleagues come to you for case advice, for example? Do your colleagues see you as a valuable source of information, right? Now, before I did this study, I didn't even think about that. But since I've done this study, I've reflected on what happens because I am in practice, you know, what yeah. happens day to day. And here's the interesting bit where it links to gender discrimination, for example, just, just an example. So in my previous practice, I stepped back when I found this out and I watched and I was in a very big practice, lots of vets. And actually, yeah. pretty much every vet, male or female, went to the same vets for advice, usually the male vets. Yeah, that's a subconscious action going on there. And so and actually, if you look at this study, it says that male vets are more likely to feel confident and ambitious and et cetera. And that will be part of it because they feel valued. And, you know, I myself experienced it. I work, I, I do a lot of dental work now. I really enjoy it. I'm a bit strange. I like exotics, dentistry and dermatology, <laughs> something no okay. one else likes. But, um, <laughs> so I do dentistry stuff and I do it very often, very frequently. Uh, you know, I can say I'm, I'm capable of, at it and so on. But I have watched no one else in the practice I work at enjoys dentals. But I have yeah. watched people go and ask one of the only two male vets in the practice for advice on dentals when I'm standing yeah. in the room. So that's an example about feeling valued and admired. Yes. And that, again, is a little bit of the gender discrimination. When actually, if you're not aware of it, you don't realize it. But over time, if you don't feel valued and admired, why would you bother? Why should you give, why should you give your effort to your career if it's not giving you anything back? Yes. When it comes to fitting in, again, is the culture of the organization one that you fit into, that works for you? And this is the difficult one, I think. Because, and I'm going to defend employers now. Because I think people expect me to come out against employers and for employees or vice versa. But to fix this, we all have a role. Every single one of yeah. us has a role. And not every practice will be right for every person. And therefore, yeah. we as individuals looking for a job do have a responsibility to say, does the culture of this practice fit me, fit my personality, fit the way I like to work? And you, it's like trying to push a square peg into a round hole. You can't go into an organization that you think, right, this culture doesn't fit me and expect to be happy. Yeah. But equally, employers have a responsibility of articulating their culture very well, articulating what their organisation about, what the feel is about. 
calling all vets and veterinary nurses out there. Have you ever been offered free or very reasonably priced online CPD but never got round to watching it? Life can be so busy that we often struggle to fulfill our CPD requirements. But what about the possibility of audio so you can listen while you're doing other things like driving to work or during exercise? Visit morethanjustavet.net forward slash CPD or follow the link in the episode notes. There, you can download your audio CPD and listen whenever you want with lots of extra materials and a QR code to pre-populate your One CPD app. More than just a vet, CPD made easy. You, you were saying that there is no silver bullet, which I agree. Mm. However, since uh, this report, it is advised that since we find which things are causing people feeling less value, mm-hmm. um, for instance, or more valued, like mm-hmm. seeking others' advice, which I have experienced too, and and having role models, then uh, the report also say that you know being alert of these advice-seeking um, dynamics and facilitating opportunities for these mm-hmm. vets will obviously help retention so mm-hmm. so that culture can be implemented by by bosses and, and employers um, if I if, if I do to do a summary of what this report does um, would it be right to say that having role models fitting in um, I don't know if experience gender discrimination is a cause or a consequence of both um, but is those things are impacting retention and because 60%, over 60% of the veterinary workforce of vets are women, if they feel less valued, that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. people do leave. Mm-hmm. There was one thing here as well that I actually didn't, didn't agree with mm-hmm. uh, as a male vet, uh, mm-hmm. but I have seen it as well, endorsement of long work hours culture and it seems to be that it's usually male vets who believe that's a good thing but if you look at the why there those that feel like they fit in that they're valued that they have good career prospects are more likely to endorse the workout at the long work hours because they're happy yeah. at work because yeah. and, and that's why so but I think that how I would summarize this is that it is vets day-to-day experiences that matter yeah. You know, your thing about looking at the the, the advice-seeking dynamics, you know, organisations could do simple things like have a monthly meeting where we, you know, you rotate round. Someone else is going to talk about something else that, that is what they enjoy. Um, you're going to have monthly meetings where you can just have this no-blame culture. Let's talk about what's happened. Are there things we can fix? Managers actively seeking out the quiet person's opinion. These are the yeah. ways that you can do, you can improve these things. Yes, yes. You, 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 you just you become a role model yourself, and and exactly. you you add, allow them to fit in as well. Absolutely agree. Um, do you do you want to go into the the actual study about the gender discrimination? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I found it really interesting, and like I said, it wasn't mentioned in the poll. And then I have what I would call the Mark and Elizabeth. Um, experiment which I found fascinating Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to explain how that came about 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, So the Mark and Elizabeth study was where a range of managers, practice directors, basically those that were in charge of hiring were asked various questions. So these are two separate components to this. Asked various questions around the profession and whether they thought women still face gender discrimination in the profession and so on. So they were asked their views on gender discrimination to start with. And then they were presented with a relatively recent graduate, uh, you know, not not straight out of university, but some experience with a CV. And they were told to, on the basis of the CV and so on, um, how competent would you rate them? You know, how much money would you offer them? Would you be likely to push them for promotion, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And they were given one of two. Co- these CVs were identical, except the name on them. One was Mark and one was Elizabeth. And what happened is that, bear in mind, these are identical. There's no, it's just Mark and Elizabeth that are different. And what happened was that in the end of it, we were found that Mark was perceived to be significantly more competent, more likely to be encouraged to go into a managerial position, more likely to be seen as a good source of information and would be paid more than Elizabeth. Now, to be clear, this was seen across the spectrum, regardless of the person's opinions on gender discrimination, but it was far more likely in those that believe that women no longer face discrimination in the profession, right? So what does this tell us? This tells us that we're not even aware we're doing it, that it's this inbuilt subconscious behavior. And back to linking it to retention, why would we know? We're a profession that doesn't really have banded pay structures. We don't ever talk about our own salaries we're not really open about this situation. So that's why it doesn't come up because I don't know what my male counterpart earns at work because we don't talk about it. We don't have banding and so on. So that's that one. Yeah, um, I, I find that there is, um, from from the employer's uh, point of view, I'm guessing with the shortage of vets as well, it becomes even more difficult because I am guessing because I'm not an employer mm-hmm. and I don't interview people anymore. I used to. Um, you would be probably um, uh, feeling like you want to offer more money to people who are coming in simply because you need them because there is a shortage. Mm-hmm. And it benefits you perversely that your other employees don't know. Uh, because um, if they knew, then you would have to increase the salary of all of them, which it makes um, your your um, your numbers not not fit, right? Yeah, I get. But I, I guess from my perspective, you're right. So you, you've now come on to something completely different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna caveat what I'm gonna say as this yeah, would have been, yes. this this would be my position before the pandemic. It's changed slightly, but before the pandemic, we know that pay was actually a hygiene factor. A person wouldn't just move jobs because of salary if they were happy in their previous job, right? So yes, you can offer more money. Yeah, but, and I'm caveating this, that this was before the pandemic. And and so it in terms of your question around salaries and so on, I, I would put back to employers, why don't we have pay bans? Why don't we make it more transparent about how we're paying people yeah. um, as well as everything else? Yeah, true. But, and, and now I'm going to go but. Yeah. I don't think that pay is completely a hygiene factor anymore. And the reason I don't think that is twofold. We're taking too long to address the things we know need to be addressed, i.e. workplace culture and all that sort of stuff. 
So people are becoming more and more and more disillusioned with being in practice. On top of that, we're now probably heading to a global recession. We're in a cost of living crisis. Inflation is massive. Money does now matter because people are now genuinely feeling the pinch. So I think money is going to play a bigger factor. But long term, it won't be the be all and end all. I'm going to go back because I I think it's my fault that I um, I moved the conversation away from gender discrimination. Mm-hmm. I want to bring it back to it uh, because one of the things that came uh, from this report and it surprised me. But now I'm thinking about it; it doesn't surprise me uh, anymore. Is that ironically those who think that women don't face discrimination are actually the the ones mm-hmm. who are most likely to discriminate. How yep. how did you get to, to that result? Um, it was so it was the two parts of the study. So remember, we, I said I said at the beginning that this study had two parts. We asked people their opinions on gender discrimination, things like that, and then separately we gave them this CV. When you put the two together yep. and you looked at how much they'd offer in pay, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we found that those that said gender discrimination no longer existed were more likely to pay Mark significantly more, see him as more competent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we basically pulled out their um, their biases. I have to say, though, that the, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but the, the profession's response to this study was very interesting to watch from my perspective, right? Uh-huh. It's there in black and white. It's there in black and white that there's no malice in this, but it is yeah. happening. You know, people are not yeah. going out of their way and going, I'm going to pay a woman less, but it is happening. And yeah. it, there, were, there, there were basically three types of people. There were people like you that went, my gosh, I didn't realise this. Yes, lack of awareness, yes. Yeah, and I think that would be the majority of people, right? And then there was a small but vocal minority who said, this is rubbish, this is nonsense, this study is all flawed, et cetera, et cetera. And when you ask them to show us where the flaws are, they never came up with the flaws. And I think that was a response because they suddenly felt uncomfortable, like, no, 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 no. And often it'd be a response from either men or women who have been in the profession for a long period of time are in leadership positions and have had to fight their way there taking this as an attack on them and it's not when like we're not saying you're not worth the money or you're not worth the your status we're just saying this is the situation we're in and unfortunately and this is going to take for very um difficult listening now and and i got this because i was an officer at vva and so i got a lot of it you know all the shouting there were people that actively told me women did not deserve to be paid the same because women were not competent enough, because women were driven by the desire to have children or to have caring responsibilities. And so there is still a small proportion of our profession. Do those individuals still exist? Oh, wow. yes, they still exist. They do. And unfortunately, okay. some of them are pretty high up the profession. And so... I came to the conclusion after both these reports oh. together, if I may, the discrimination and the motivation, retention, satisfaction, that there is a small part of our profession that is never going to pay attention to anything. Because as far as they're concerned, I'm all right, Jack. I don't need to change anything. And everyone else is is a snowflake or a millennial yeah. or a gen whatever. And we don't work hard enough and we spend too much on <laughs> coffees and avocados. Um, <laughs> but there is a huge portion of the profession who's gone like you have, who's gone like you have and gone, my gosh, I just didn't realise. And what we need is to galvanise those people who've gone, right, here is the information. Here is what we need to do. How are we going to do this? But I would encourage people to just hurry up and try a bit to go a bit faster because 
time is of the essence now. We need to make people feel valued. We need to make our profession stand up together. Yes, it's not enough to say, oh, with time, these old people, they will go away because then we'll have new challenges. So these things have to be um, tackled mm -hmm. uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, mm -hmm. I completely agree. Um, okay, so thank you for taking part. Look, I wanted this to be short and I think you've been very concise and very quick, uh, which is excellent. Um, do you, before we, we finish, do you, do you want to tell something that I haven't asked you? Because I'm sure there is. I've been reading all this in the last uh, couple of weeks and I thought, wow. Um, but if there is something you want to say before, yeah. uh, before we finish? Yeah, if, if there's anyone listening who's gone, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. And, and I would say, go out, read these papers. There's also something called the BVA Good Workplace Policy which has actually pulled all of this together and other stuff that, that, that we know and come up with a framework of how you can improve your workplaces. Now, this doesn't need to come just from your employers. If you as an individual in a practice are going, I'd really quite like to change this, take that program, go to your employer and say, can we do this? Can we just work on one section together? Because actually, if we all take initiative and all care and all try and do our bit, we can make the difference together. Yes. Um, and if I may, just off topic a bit, whilst... I do have a platform and I know lots of people listen to your <laughs> podcast. Um, to all the veterinary profession, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your incredible hard work through the pandemic, through your continued hard work now. You are all incredible. We do have challenges, um, but we can, if we work together, get through this. And I am really, really proud and honoured to have been the president and to be part of this wonderful, wonderful profession. Absolutely. I, I agree. And uh, what you said as, as well about uh, going to the practice when I was a CD, uh, something that I, I felt it was important is when people come with ideas and, and answers, um, it's, it's not sufficient to just, you know, stand back and say, oh, the profession has to fix this for me because we are part of the group. We are part of that same body. Um, completely agree with that. I think this is this is gonna be the end, Daniela. So I'll, I'll 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 stop here. Thank you very much. No problem. And this is it for today. Did you enjoy this episode? If you have any comments or reviews about it, don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjustabet.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the donate button. You can do it for as little as one pound. Hasta la próxima.